0: So Mike asks that we read uh, the scripture passage um, of the Lord's Prayer as well as something from James from a particular version of the Bible. So I'm going to be reading off the screen as opposed to having it in front of me. And then uh, Mike will come up uh, and uh, take it away from there. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Now in James, so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated.
1: Am I on there? Yeah. Great. Well, so great to be with you guys this morning. It really is an honor for me. I um, have a very soft spot in my heart for church plants and new churches, having been through that myself. uh, My wife, Mary, is with me over here. So make sure you say hi to her. Seriously, like she's the friendliest person you will ever meet in your life. Uh, It's a spiritual gift. I don't even try to compete. You'll be best friends after five minutes. There's a uh, Chinese proverb that says, before starting down the road to revenge, dig two graves. I actually met some ladies from China this morning, so you have to tell me if you've ever heard that before. I'm just going off what I read. Before starting down the road to revenge, dig two graves. See, you just don't forgive for the benefit of the other person. You need to forgive them for you, okay? If we want to truly find rest in our lives, then I know you're doing a series on rest. If you want to truly find rest in your lives, We must learn to forgive as we have been forgiven by Jesus. You've all undoubtedly heard the saying that uh, bitterness is the poison that you drink, hoping that somebody else is going to die. I'm going to tell you a story about Leonardo da Vinci from Renaissance Italy. Might have the photo. There we go. Just before he commenced work on his Last Supper painting... Leonardo had a violent argument with the fellow painter. They hated each other. And as an act of revenge, Leonardo decided to paint the face of Judas as this painter. If you don't know who Judas is, he's that guy right there with the elbow on the table. Thus, he would take his revenge by handing this painting down with this guy's face in infamy and scorn to uh, succeeding generations. Everybody recognized the face of this other painter. But when he began to try to paint the face of Jesus, Leonardo ran into some difficulty. He couldn't do it. He kept getting frustrated. It was never quite right. Something seemed to be baffling him, holding him back, and frustrating his best efforts. Finally, Leonardo came to the conclusion that it was because he had painted the face of his enemy as the face of Judas. And it wasn't until he blotted out that particular face that he could continue to paint the face of Jesus the way that he wanted to paint it. If you've had any trouble seeing the face of Jesus lately, if you've had any frustration trying to sense what he's up to, if you've been straining to to hear his voice, and the question this morning is whether or not there's someone in your life whom you need to forgive from your heart. Because if we don't forgive, we're calling down judgment upon ourselves. Maybe it's your mom you need to forgive, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's another family member. Maybe it's somebody at work, maybe it's somebody who's died. And is no longer around. Somebody from your past. And the scripture makes it clear that we are, in fact, judging ourselves about unforgiveness every time we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. Amen. That's right. There's that line in there Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. Yes, Lord. And then James. Jesus is half brother, by the way. Okay, I'm going to go off on a little thing here. I mean, can you imagine what it was like to have Jesus as your older brother, grow up in the same house? I mean, every time you did something wrong, and your mother Mary corrected you, be like, James, why can't you be more like your big brother Jesus? <laughs> so frustrating no wonder it took them a long time to come to belief after the resurrection but James did come to faith in Christ and he says a lot of the same kind of things that Jesus was saying which are some of the same kind of things we hear Mary say in the magnificat but i won't go there And one of them is, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you, is what James writes in the passage we read. And I don't know about you, but I wanna say to James, James, wait a minute, wait, wait, stop. Isn't God's forgiveness free? Aren't you asking me to earn my salvation by forgiving those who harm me? And the answer is that, yes, God's grace is free, but it's also devastating. When God's grace comes into our lives, it doesn't leave us where we were. It changes us. And one of the first changes it makes is to give us the power to forgive those who have wronged us the same way that we have been forgiven by Jesus. If we don't forgive others, we are, in a sense, proving that we have not accepted the forgiveness that Christ has already offered us. And thus, it's removed. When we refuse to forgive, and here's the kicker, we actually allow the sin that was committed against us to hurt us twice once when we were first sinned against, and then every time it prevents us from receiving the grace and forgiveness of Jesus for ourselves. We need to stop the pain and forgive. So I'm gonna tell you uh, what forgiveness is not, okay? Should be a list up there. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but an act of your will. You may not want to forgive somebody who has hurt you. Totally understandable. I get it. If you don't want to forgive someone, ask God to help you want to forgive them. God can help you with the desire to forgive because he wants that ultimately for your sake as well as for the other person's sake. So if you don't feel it, ask to feel it. Number two, forgiving is not agreeing with what was done to you. And this, this lie stops a lot of people from forgiving, is that somehow if I forgive her, if I let her off the hook, somehow she's going to think that's fine. The rest of the family's going to think that's fine. It's not what's going on. You know what was done to you was wrong. Forgiving someone doesn't change that, okay? Forgiveness is not followed by a but. As in, I forgive you, but you must grovel before me every time we come together. I forgive you, but I will never, ever speak to you again. I forgive you, but... Don't ever, ever come near me. There's no but after you forgive somebody. You're just open to whatever God has in store. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Okay, big difference here. Reconciliation is something you gotta work at with somebody after you've forgiven them. It's gotta actually be on both of your parts to come together to negotiate whatever that looks like, that reconciliation. It may take some time. It may take some time because maturity has to happen in both of you. It may take some time because the person has already died. And you may only be able to reconcile in the afterlife. Forgiveness is not trust. All right, I might forgive you for stealing my wallet, but I will never leave it unguarded around you again. Understand? I can let that go, but that doesn't mean that I want more of it. Forgiveness, finally, is not understanding what happened to you. This is a big deal. Sometimes we feel like we cannot forgive somebody until we figure out exactly why the Lord let it happen. And frankly, I wish it was that way. I wish that the Lord would tell me exactly why certain people have hurt me and what good it's supposed to produce in my life. But sometimes God saves that for a conversation in heaven with him, I think. And I just need to be okay with that. I want you to think of your situation, whatever it is, as a court case. You are both the plaintiff and the prosecuting attorney, okay? The person who wronged you as a defendant, God is the judge. You have done a phenomenal job of compiling your briefs. For your day in court, you come in your best looking black label Armani suit. (laughs) And so much legal documentation in tow that it takes not one, not two, but three two wheel dollies to bring them into the courtroom. The judge enters, he calls the court into session. But to everybody's amazement, you take all your files, you wheel them up to the bench, you drop them off, and then you sashay your well-dressed behind right out of the courtroom. That's forgiveness. You're trusting God to judge. You take your entire case, and Lord knows you have one, before the judge, and you let him rule on it for all time. Because he knows all. Because he's perfectly just. Folks, if you're struggling with unforgiveness, I beg you, please decide today this instant to take all your files, all your judgments, all your evidence, all your prepared speeches, and leave them in front of the judge. He cannot act contrary to his own nature. He's both just and merciful. He's always good. And he'll do right by you. And as often as you find yourself Going into that little computer inside your brain and accessing those files again, I want you to mentally place those files in an email and send them to Jesus. And then sometime down the road, you're going to get a FaceTime or a Skype from Jesus, and he's going to show you his smiling face saying, well done, that you did that again. Her name was 66730, or at least that was the name she went by. Her father had died in a German concentration camp, as did her sister. Her freedom, her dignity, her humanity had been stripped away by those who imprisoned her, and yet she survived. They had robbed her of everything she ever possessed, but they could not rob her of the one who possessed her. Namely, Jesus, her Lord. She saw every day in the Ravensbrook concentration camp a chance to minister to those who were more needy than herself. And then one day, suddenly, she was released. It was a clerical error. She shouldn't have been released, but she was. And as suddenly as she became a prisoner, she was freed. And then her solitary aim. Was to spread the love of Jesus that she had experienced so radically before, during, and after her time in the Nazi concentration camp. When the war was over, she began traveling and speaking, sharing her Savior. And then one day, something happened at one of her meetings that shook her to the core. I'm going to read you her account of what happened. But you wouldn't probably know her as 66730. You would have heard of her as Corey Ten Boom. This is what she writes. It was at a church service in Munich, Germany, that I saw him, the former German SS soldier who had stood guard at the shower room in the processing center at Ravensbrook, He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing on the floor, and my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. The guard came up to me as the church was emptying that day, beaming and bowing How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Blomendal, the need to forgive, kept my hand to my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed silently. Forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or clarity. And so again, I breathed a quiet prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while all of a sudden into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our own forgiveness any more than on our own goodness that this world's healing hinges, but upon his when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Just an amazing story. Philip Yency, a Christian author who lives just up in Evergreen, Colorado, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says this. At last I understood In the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. And so my question this morning is that Simply, is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that you haven't talked to in a long time because of what they did? Is there somebody you refuse to think about most times? Is there someone whom you avoid like the plague, whom you won't sit beside, someone you just feel like spitting upon? Is there someone whom you are waiting for a confession from, Before you offer forgiveness, you must forgive them. Your own forgiveness relies on it. And here's a principle of spiritual growth I've learned through 50 years of following Jesus. People grow spiritually up to their own personal point of disobedience. People grow spiritually up to their own personal point of disobedience. In other words, we stop growing when we stop obeying Jesus. And if Jesus is asking you to forgive somebody, you will not grow beyond this point if you don't do it. So let me uh, give you some practical steps. These are from John and Paula Sanford in their book, Choosing Forgiveness. Some of the first Christian counselors I ever heard of. Number one, ask for God's help. I mean, honestly, desire to become free of the burden of unforgiveness and prepare yourself to forgive. Ask for God's help. Number two, clarify just what it is you need to forgive. It's as important. You can't just have some kind of vague I hate you for everything you've ever done. I mean, you've got to meditate for a while remember some specific instances where you were hurt so you know what you have to forgive the person of. Verbalize your feelings and your desire to forgive. You can say out loud, I forgive John for X, Y, and Z. Be specific, be detailed, be real believe it in prayer and expect the Lord to accomplish it I mean he will answer this prayer because he wants you to be free number three sit down with a wise counselor or a friend and talk it over this is so important because we are blind to our own junk we got these huge blind spots blind spot is someplace you can't see you know it's somewhere back here for me I can't see my hand. I need you to tell me, is my hand, are my fingers really moving? Because it feels like they're moving. Other people can tell you what's going on that maybe you don't understand. Especially when you've been hurt and you're kind of tied up in that bitterness and that, that pain. Counseling will give you the perspective that you need. And I don't mean just professional counseling. I mean pastoral counseling. I mean your own best friends who know you. Number four, get in touch with your own need for forgiveness. I mean, make a list. If you have a hard time forgiving somebody, make a list of everything God's forgiven you for and then realize you don't know the whole list. Isn't that scary? There are things I've done to people I'm not even aware of. Trust me, I get like Facebook messages ten years later from people who went to scum of the earth saying you hurt me, and I'm going, oh no, not again. And then I ask forgiveness. I'm sorry. If I knew now what I knew, if I knew then what I know now, I think I may have reacted differently. This just happened to me, just last year. Get in touch with your own need for forgiveness. Look at it every time the feelings of unforgiveness reoccur. Number five: Meet with the person that you need to forgive. This is obviously impossible if the person's still alive. If the person's died, you gotta trust God to work that out. I mean, obviously you can forgive them from your heart as best you can. When you meet with that person, make sure it's someplace that they can share feelings. You know, like it's not like in a crowded coffee shop, but there's gonna be a lot of blubbering and crying and yelling on your, you know, whatever. I mean, just be sensitive to that. Lives across the country, maybe you can do a, a FaceTime or a Zoom call or a Skype call or something from a private room in your home. Number six, make it real. This is the whole <laughs> next step. Like, do something to make it real, do something to bless the person whom you are forgiving. Because forgiveness has got to look like something, folks. Forgiveness has got to look like something. Maybe it looks like a birthday card. Or a Mother's Day card. Or a Father's Day card. Or flowers. Or a gift at Christmas. Or a birthday. Maybe it looks like a meal together. Maybe it looks like a walk in the park. I don't know what it looks like, but it's got to look like something. A freshly... Baked plate of cookies made with sugar and not poison. You know, I mean just <laughs> something. Forgiveness is not a neutral act that just happens right inside of you and nobody can see it on the outside. Spend yourself on love for the person who hurt you. One of the primary reasons that Jesus gave. Remember Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Remember that? You know the reason he said to bless those who persecute you? Because I think the purpose of persecution is to learn how to forgive and love the persecutor. That's what I think. And it's the Lord's way of helping that person to be healed and saved as well. It's not just for you. It's for them. Number seven, get ready to do it over again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. I always think of Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? right? Do it again, and again, and again, and again. It's like cleaning a window, you know? You got this window between you and this other person relationship and you come up to it and it's all smudged and streaked and dirty and you can't see through it and so you go through the whole act of forgiveness and you clean it, right? And next time you know, you come back and it's all smudged up and dirty again. You can hardly see. You're going, I gotta do it again. Gotta clean it again in order to see clearly. I'm gonna close with uh, this story. So uh, back several years ago, there was a young man uh, in our lives, in the life of our family, who hurt one of my kids very badly, I thought. The kid didn't think so, but I thought so. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. I could barely stand to look at him. I would get literally nauseated seeing him next to my daughter. I mean, I I couldn't drink, eat. I just had to walk out of the room. He was not allowed in my house. Everybody knew that. Uh, A couple of years went by, and I just kind of cut him out. Of my life. I go to this preaching team, kind of like what Aaron was talking about that we did for the Advent guide. I went for like, I still go 20 some years with these other pastors in town, and we would talk about sermons every week. We would talk about our lives every week, and then one of the guys, like 80 some years old at the time, other guys were about my age, and pretty soon this 80 some year old retired Presbyterian minister looks at me and he says, Mike, have you forgiven that guy yet? I said, "Less. just back off. I'm, you know, I'm working on it. The Lord and I are talking about it. And then he points his bony finger in my face and he says, because you know, if you don't forgive him, God's not going to forgive you. And I want to say, get away from me, old man. Like, leave me alone. And then the other two guys glommed on. And they're all telling me, you got to forgive that guy. And going, guys, I'm not ready. So we we wake up after lunch. I get in my car. I'm so angry. I get in my car. I start driving. And I got to pull over to the side of the road like right away. I just come out of the parking lot. And I pull over to the side of the road. And I'm screaming at God going, God, you know I'm not ready for this. And that little quiet voice comes into your head. You know, the little thoughts that pass through your mind. And this is what I thought. Remember your coaches when you were playing sports? Remember how they would tell you to do something that you didn't think you could do? And then you did it because they told you to do it? These are my assistant coaches. Okay, fine. This is my attitude. So I get out my phone and I call the guy who didn't answer, of course. Left the message, say, hey, we need to get together. Gotta talk. Three days later, he calls me back. We get together in a park. It's early December. It's cold, it's sunny in Denver. We're outside, we're in the park, and I say to him, I need to forgive you because I'm a man who's been forgiven much. It'd be wrong for me to hold on to this. But before I forgive you, I want you to know just what I'm forgiving you of. So I lined it out, how it hurt me, how it hurt Mary, how we had hurt my sons, my daughters, the extended family. I just, I did it all. And then I said, I want you to know I forgive you. And then I said, forgiveness has got to look like something. So this is the deal. You are now welcome at my house. We have a holiday dinner, a birthday dinner. You're welcome to come and sit at our table. I go, Mary's way ahead of me. She's got a stocking for you on the mantle. She's got a present wrapped under the tree. But I just want you to know it's over. And so he start coming over. You know, three months later, he's there for my birthday. And I'm mumbling under my breath. I wish he wasn't here. I wish he was somebody else. I had to clean that window all over again. Here's the miracle, okay? Years later, I like the guy. We have great conversations, I I go to where he works, I'll stand there and, and we'll talk. I mean, it's just amazing to me that I can see the good points about him. And uh, I'm just so grateful to God that he did this for me, you know? I'm just so grateful. And this can happen for you as well. It just can. Because Jesus loves you and he loves that person and he wants you to be free. the chains of unforgiveness let's pray Lord Jesus Christ thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross enabling us not only to be forgiven but to forgive others think of your Holy Spirit who reminds us of what's true and what's right and how to love those who are not really deserving of our love but you died for them Lord you died for us and we're so grateful Help us to forgive as we have been forgiven. In your name, Jesus, amen.